Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Chase. This is episode three with Justin Anderson and Dylan Kaniski. Today we're going to be talking about Solar Minimum, the coronal hole that's facing us right now, and we're going to be going over some basics of Aurora terms such as coronal holes, solar flares, all that cool stuff that some of you may not know. We're all going to cover it in this episode, so let's just jump right into it. Let's jump right into it. First of all, there is a coronal hole that's facing us. Uh, it's faced us uh, yesterday. So we're looking at uh, activity in both three days from yesterday. So hoping as early as tonight, but likely tomorrow night into Sunday night. So uh, that uh, coronal hole has a good chance of causing some uh, some aurora for sub-latitude locations, such as Calgary and, and uh, Regina, Brandon, Winnipeg. Uh, a lot of areas in, in all of Canada pretty much could have a good chance. So that uh, it's looking pretty good for this weekend, and I've got my camera ready to go, and batteries are all charged up and ready. I don't think the clouds are wanting to cooperate too much, though. It's looking like it's going to be a little cloudy this weekend in my location, but hopefully that's a little wrong. Yeah, same in my location. It's looking cloudy. It's actually been cloudy the last couple of days. And we have a bunch of grass fires when my area is like really smoky right now. So not going to be making the best conditions for me, but hopefully I can escape it and it clears by the time this goes off. But I'm pretty excited for this uh, little corona hole. Actually, it doesn't look that little. It actually looks like a, a decent size. And uh, so conditions have kind of been on the low side. So I we're really excited to get this corona hole that might cause some activity because it looks like it's going to be very few and far between for a little while here. Yeah, other than this little coronal hole we're seeing, we're waiting on. Uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty weak for the first week in April, or first week and a half. But around the tenth is when it's going to start picking up, and the tenth is projected to have KPI five, which is pretty good for all of Canada. Uh, and then the uh, the seventh, sixteenth is the the next forecasted KPI five, and that's due to the two coronal holes that brought a war last month to us. Uh, one was uh, directly overhead in a G two storm, and then the other one was was the uh, the night that Steve appeared. So both were really good shows, and as long as those coronal holes stay intact and the conditions are same as last month, we could have another good two good shows, and that's right around new moon as well. So. We have a really good chance it's a couple of good shows coming up. Yeah, so Justin, I had a busy week, so I wasn't really following the news. Do we have any updates on those two coronal holes? Do we know if they've strengthened or weakened yet? Do you know anything about them? Or are we still waiting for stuff to come out? Nothing yet. They haven't really rotated into view for for the Earth side, so there's still a little bit of time. But uh, I haven't read anything about them increasing or decreasing in size or strength. So right now it's just a wait and see and hope for uh, the region number 40 to pick up. and. Yeah, so for all you guys out there who haven't ever seen the Aurora or are itching to get back out there, this weekend is looking like it could be okay. I wouldn't expect anything uh, extraordinary, but we can definitely get a chance to see some some decent shows, hopefully pretty pretty high in the sky. It's not going to be overhead or anything, but hopefully I'm always hopeful for some pillars and dancing. That's always good. And then, uh, like Justin said, around the middle of February, towards the end, um, or April, sorry, my bad, wrong month, um, we could be seeing some more activity. So just keep your eyes open, and I'm sure you'll be able to catch some uh, some nice shows this month if everything plans out. 
Yeah, and the best part about these Corona holes is they are notorious for arriving early and they're notorious for being strong. So there's a really good chance that we could be wrong and this might be a really good show. Uh, it, look, it could be just an average show with a little bit of green on the horizon, a little bit of dancing, but it also could be a really good show and have a G2 storm right directly overhead and one of the best of the year. So the best part about Aurora Chasing is it's always a gamble. You never know what you're going to get until after you get it. So always be ready and, and uh, be reactive to the Aurora. Don't don't try to predict it because if you try to predict it, you're going to be wrong. Justin is saying uh, this is this is going to really help new people out there because I, I see a lot of uh, Aurora groups like to post uh, what, pe- what general people think are um, forecasts when they're actually more predictions. So I know N-O- N-A, no, N-O-A-A, Noah. So Noah, I know, likes to always have minimum a three-day forecast and sometimes they do a longer forecast um, but that's just what they are they're just forecasts or predictions so if you ever see those don't ever take them to heart uh, we've seen plenty of times where the prediction has turned out to be the complete opposite and for whatever reason there's a magnitude of reasons uh, the show doesn't pan out whether that be uh, a weaker than expected stream from whatever solar event happened on the sun or um, conditions just don't line up or in the case of like CMEs or solar flares, they just end up missing Earth. Um, so always take them with a grain of salt. In, a, in Aurora Chasing, there's no such thing as a guarantee. So um, if you're ever out seeing these events and everyone's freaking out, they're freaking out because they're excited, but um, that doesn't always mean that everything's going to pan out. So just always keep that in mind when you're viewing predictions or forecasts or anything like that. Yeah, and that that 27-day forecast works off of what happened last month. So the sun does of full rotation every 27 to 30 days depending on whether you're at the pole or at the equator of the sun so if the about 27 days is how long it takes for the sun to do a full cycle for a full coronal hole if an event happened uh, on say march 19th 27 days later there's a good chance it's going to happen again as long as that coronal hole and the conditions that happened on the 19th of march was it looked good as long as those conditions reappear the chances are really good for aurora again so the 27 day forecast is completely based off of what already has happened on the sun for the last 27 days that's why if you get a really good show really good strong coronal hole it's going to rotate around the sun and it's going to come back again in 27 days and the forecast is likely going to show a really good chance even though it could come back and it could weaken, it could shift, it could move south or north, and it might not hit us completely. Conditions might change completely, and it it doesn't produce anything. Luckily, these coronal holes, they last for about you know four or five months, and uh, the, between their strengthening and weakening. Uh, so we can usually see them last for a little while, a few rotations on that sun. When we are predicting or forecasting 27 days out, it's all based off of those coronal holes. Uh, coronal holes are the reason that we see aurora usually around the, the solar minimum and then during solar maximum coronal holes aren't really the the reason that we're super excited it's more of the sunspots and flares and coronal mass ejections so the coronal holes right now are the reason why we're seeing the aurora and the solar flares and coronal mass ejections are still on the back burner for right now so coronal holes are right now the the bread and butter of aurora for us on earth so with all this talk we've been talking about with this coronal hole and why we're really happy to see it, it'd be a good segue to, into talking about current conditions and kind of what the sun is doing right now in general and not just about uh, specific solar events. 
So right now we're kind of, we're back into solar minimum conditions. And kind of the reason why for that is other than this uh, coronal hole, the sun's been really boring lately. We have zero sunspots and sunspots are kind of um, responsible for some of the more powerful events we see like solar flares, CMEs, things of that nature. Um, we're kind of still in that solar minimum due to the sunspots as well as we're really early into the new solar cycle, which is solar cycle 25. And when you're switching solar cycles like that towards the end and the start of a new one, conditions tend to be on the, the lower side, right? Um, maximum conditions don't really pick up until you get to the top or like kind of the middle of the cycle. So at the start of one, you can expect to see activity take it like a significant ramp up around like three to six ish years um into the solar cycle is when things really really start to get interesting where you get you're getting like tons of activity all the time right so that's kind of what we're waiting for right now so that's kind of caused uh, just a little bit of a boring aurora chasing season um when into the springtime here which um from what I'm aware is usually pretty typical because usually you have March and September, which are the really nice shows and people tend to be more interested in chasing in the, in the winter, just because of uh, the more long stretches of darkness, right? Summer, especially in the uh, places in the Arctic that don't get a lot of, uh, that get so much sunlight during the summer. It's just uh, winter is usually the more chaseable time of the year. Um, yeah, we're we're stepping out of Aurora season now. Uh, Aurora season is kind of ending near the end of April. I believe it's around May. But now that the nights are getting really, really short, like for myself, 10 p.m. is when it gets dark enough to start chasing, and then it's light around 7 a.m. So really, chasing is now becoming a bit more of a, uh, work. You can't get out at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night to go see the Aurora. You kind of have to get out around 10, 11 o'clock at night and be out pretty much for the entire night. So... Now the excitement around Aurora kind of goes away because you have to be really dedicated to get out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, if you if the event happens and it starts around seven o'clock at night, you don't see it until you're on the 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock mark. So and sometimes and you can miss gonna... half the show by then. Sometimes activity is just ramped up during that whole, you know, dinner time uh, kind of time of the day. Right. And then by the time you get out, it could almost be over with. Right. So it's, it's kind of crappy that way. Yeah. So we're kind of moving into like a milky way season is the summer uh, in where i am at we actually don't even get nighttime around this equinox around uh, june 21st we don't even get nighttime we have astronomical twilight all night long which is still dark enough to take photos of the aurora but you do get a bit of a blue and haze if you look towards the sun so it is a little bit worse for capturing the aurora but i've captured some amazing events around august so really I wouldn't consider us out of the Aurora season by any means because all year long is the Aurora season and we're still ramping up. We're still getting into solar cycle 25. We're still pushing towards maximum. So it's only going to get better and better as we go on. So I'm not too yeah, worried. Yeah. I'm still excited about, about what's happening. I'm still going to have my batteries charged up. I'm just, it's, you might have to start spending some time throughout the day napping for the, for a full night of Aurora chasing. Yeah. A couple of things that a lot of people don't take into consideration too, is that, um, for a long time, a lot of the science and everything only came out of like these Arctic places. So when people talk about like the Aurora season, it, they're mostly talking about those Arctic places, which um, some of them don't even receive any any uh, dark at all during the summer, right? Depending on how far north you are, where you are in the world. So that's kind of where it came from. Um, 
from what I understand, right? Because we're in those middle latitudes, we're not as far north. We get a little bit more of um, chasing time, I guess, even though it's not very exciting sometimes. But summer can still offer great shows. Like Justin said, I've seen beautiful pictures over the summer from people who've been out. But it just takes a little bit more dedication. Um, some things I do like about chasing in the summer is it gives you more time to have a nap before the shows really take off because um, activity in, in a show really starts to, not all the time, it varies, of course. Nothing is ever set in stone when you're chasing Aurora, but uh, activity usually tends to increase around local time, local midnight, right? Um, and that's just kind of how the oval moves. So uh, sometimes it, it can be a blessing and sometimes it can be a curse. So it, it's a gamble in the summer more than it is in the wintertime because winter you have more darkness. You can just sit on and wait for hours and hours and hours, right, and get lucky. But summertime you need a little bit more planning and a little bit more uh, uh, specifics, right? Yeah, and also us Canadians, we have to deal with the uh, minus 30 temperatures in the winter. So summer chasing is a little bit nicer because you can actually spend a full night out without wearing gloves. Or uh, so 100 nice. layers. It's a little I can't bit wait nicer. To put my gloves away. <laughs> yeah. Or being able to take photos of reflections. You have to remember everything's frozen oh. where we are right now. It's yeah. just starting to melt. So there's no reflections. There's no no water sitting around. If you want to go onto a lake, you just drive on. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's pretty boring up here in the winter, but and cold. But now summer chasing can be a lot of fun with reflections and being on the lakes and and camping. Um, I spend a, a lot, lot of time of photo camping. Time. Yeah. A lot of photo opportunities really, really come out in the uh, summertime. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, like as this uh, as this cycle moves up, we're gonna start seeing more and more activity. We're uh, we're still not, haven't seen any sunspots. Really, there hasn't been any exciting flares, unfortunately. But it can change. Tomorrow we might see a sunspot. It might rotate into view. So I'm not too. Uh, you always have to be ready and, and excited about what could be coming. And there's good chances of uh, of it picking up here. Yeah, we've already seen some signs of um, events getting a little bit stronger. Um, like we saw the second G2 storm of the year just the other night at the beginning of March there, right? So we are seeing small signs that, you know, stuff is starting to come awake. But again, even in a in a cycle, you go through these peaks and uh, and drops, right? So you can, you can get really nice shows for a whole month. And then um, for the next little while, it could be really quiet. So it's just, it comes as it goes, as, as I say. So you just kind of got to always be on your toes. Just keep up with the news and, and just see what's happening, right? Yep, and the exciting part is this uh, this coronal hole that's facing us right now, last month it didn't do anything. It didn't bring us really any aurora, so it was never projected to bring us aurora this month. So the excitement is, it just appeared, really, and now we're getting ready for another show, and it's not predicted at all. So we're definitely, that could always happen again. Um, just because it's not predicted in the long-term forecast doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have a, a, a random show. There's always a chance of a coronal mass ejection or a solar flare, and we really can't predict those with ease. So um, there's always chances of things changing really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Especially with coronal holes, like sometimes like they can come out of nowhere too. Sometimes they weren't even there last month, and they just started to develop and form and get into their life cycle, right? So there's always that. So it's always good to just keep an eye on what the sun's doing and then um, and just plan accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then now that we're talking about this, we'll go into just a few different things that we talk or a few different terms. Uh, there's really three events on the sun that we watch for, one of them being coronal holes, which are kind of the lower on the totem pole, but they still do pack a punch. 
then the next one is solar flares, and then after solar flares comes coronal mass ejections. There's three, those are the three different events that you hear chasers talking about quite often. Solar flares, coronal mass ejections are on top of the list. You want to see those. A coronal mass ejection can bring a fantastic show. If you hear about a coronal mass ejection that is facing the Earth, you really want to make sure your camera batteries are charged up. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them do face away from the Earth, and we don't get the full force of that coronal mass ejection. The coronal mass ejections, the solar flares, they do happen the more, they do tend to happen when we have more sunspots, which right now we have zero. There's not a single sunspot that's being watched right now, but during solar maximum, we have close to 80. So the more sunspots, the more chances of solar flares, the more chance of coronal mass ejections. So once we see more sunspots appear, we can start to get a little more excited and watch for some, some solar flares. Just because we don't have any sunspots doesn't mean a solar flare or coronal mass ejection can't happen. That's the exciting part is it always could still happen. There was always those chances without those sunspots. But the more sunspots we have, the more sun is, the, the more chances we have. Right around solar minimum, coronal mass ejections and solar flares are pretty minimal. That's why we call it minimum. And that's why we focus on the coronal holes instead of the, uh, the other two. But right around maximum, we start to focus a lot more on those solar flares and coronal mass ejections because they're so much more frequent, and then the coronal holes are still there. So right now, we're just focusing on those coronal holes because it's really all we have. And they still do produce a great show. Yeah, they do. And that's kind of a nice segue into breaking down some of these events a little bit more so you have a better understanding of kind of what they are and why why we look for them and why they're so important. So, um, Yeah, so... Let's start off with coronal holes first. Uh, it's the easiest one. It's really easy to watch for as well. Um, if you go onto Space Weather Live or Solar Ham or any Space Weather website, you'll see the map of the sun and it's yellow. On the, on the face of the sun, you'll see black spots. Some websites circle them, some don't, but you'll see black spots. Those black spots are the coronal holes. All that the coronal hole is, is it's an area that the magnetic field is opened up on the sun and it's allowing particles to go out rather than come back towards the sun. So all these particles are facing out, whether it's facing you know, out towards any of the other planets or into deep space or whether it's facing towards the Earth. When it's right in the center and it's facing towards us, that's when we get really excited because then those particles are facing us and we get that's when we get a chance for a show. Those ones are really, really simple, really easy to watch, and they move quite slowly. You know, they move uh, 27 days, they'll do a full rotation, and they can grow, grow or weaken or move or shift um, during, those, during that time. So we can watch them much easier, and you can start to predict it for yourself and see what it looks like a coronal hole is facing us versus when it's facing you know, towards the north or south pole of the sun. Yeah. Coronal holes are, are great. Kind of ramping it up to some more activity that we like to watch out for that can maybe pack, well, not maybe, they do pack more of a punch than just regular coronal holes do, are uh, solar flares. Um, so basically, solar flares are kind of like a, a release of energy. Think of it as kind of like an explosion on the sun in a way. Um, and that's kind of what they are. So they 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 just have a release of energy, uh, all these particles, and then they uh, and then they storm into Earth and they interact with our magnetic field, and that's how you get auroras. Um, the cool thing about solar flares is they they go off more than you think, um, but they don't really do much because there's a scale of them. So um, they're called classes, and so some of the classes um, 
it, it just kind of indicates the strength of them, how much um, how much energy they're releasing, pretty much, right? So the class is ranked in letters. So on the lowest to the highest, we have B class, C class, M class, and X class. The main ones we're looking out for are really those last two, the X and M class flares, because those have the the highest chance of giving us like really nice shows. Um, but we, we there has been times where we have seen like small shows become from C class, um, but they're not really anything to really watch out for. Um, they're more used as like a anything under M class is kind of more used as an indication that okay, this sun sunspot might be active. It has a chance to release a higher class flare. It's kind of how I I view it, right? Um, so those M and X class ones are, are really something to watch out for. And those are the ones that give us the highest probability of Aurora. And uh, that's kind of the basics of solar flares. Just think of it as a release of energy. And depending on the size of them and speed, um, you can see some really nice shows from them. Yeah, and one thing to add into the solar flares as well is the sun is a ball of fire. It's always shooting out flares at all times. Right now, there's actually an A class flare. So it goes from A0, A, B, C, and then upwards to the M and X. So right now, it's constantly at A, and we're watching it always. There is always a way to watch and see if there is any flares going on. So right now, it's just A. There's always particles being uh, ejected from the sun, but it's at the A level. So it's at a level of we don't even care. We don't even want to watch it because it's not going to produce anything for us down here or any excitement. Um, B class is still we don't watch it at all. C, I, I get a little more excited about C, especially since we've been at a such a low level for quite a while. We haven't seen a C class for a while, so I would get a little bit more excited over a C class right now. But then M and X is obviously you get very excited for. But then that ramps us right into coronal mass ejections, and they are a, a huge event of uh, particles that are ejected into the into the uh, space off the sun towards the earth uh they're huge they allow tons and tons of particles off the sun uh they usually coincide with solar flares but just because a solar flare happens doesn't mean a coronal mass ejection is going to happen and just because a coronal mass ejection happens doesn't mean a solar flare happens so they do happen around the same time as as one another but they aren't guaranteed to happen at the same time uh so coronal mass ejections are the the most particles that we can let off all at one time if you see a coronal mass ejection, you usually have about 24 to 72 hours before it impacts us. So they move quite fast and they are large. So if, even if you don't get the full brunt of the coronal mass ejection, you still might get a portion of it. It's still worthwhile watching. We had one not too long ago, I think it was in March, and it's it brought us a little bit of activity. I think it brought us up to KP4 levels and it was we barely got a, a piece of it. It was not directed at us at all and it was we still got a piece of it. And it brought us KP4 levels. So coronal mass ejections are definitely a, really the one to watch for. And you'll see you'll see the 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 Aurora Chaser network. Like all of us get excited the second the, the coronal mass ejection happens. Uh, it's pretty hard to miss those because you'll see some pretty good excitement, especially if it's facing us. Yeah. So so what I I want to break down kind of um what you mean there Justin by saying like if it's facing us or not so obviously the sun moves and it has like uh the sun has another disc that's kind of just that we kind of watch and that's the aurora chaser community right so the disc is pretty much the area of activity where if something happens um it's that's the best chance of it to hit earth right um so the, these coronal 
mass ejections can kind of launch from anywhere on the sun, any and all sides, right? So sometimes you can get one off of what we call limbs, which is the side of the sun that isn't facing us, but it's just starting to, so the edges of the sun, right? So even if one launches off, let's say the eastern corner, the eastern corner is um, usually, I, I believe always, because the sun rotates, right? So that's um, the side where stuff starts rotating into view, right? And the west side is where it starts leaving us. Um, so even if something goes off of each, each of the eastern or western sides there, um, these coronal mass ejections are so big and large that um, they kind of they they shoot out, but they kind of have you have the, the the main activity in the center of it, and then throughout the sides of the uh, ejection, it gets a little bit weaker and weaker, right? So sometimes they're launched at just barely barely the right angle, and they just missed us, but we still get some of that tail end of the activity there, right? So that can that's that's kind of the reason why you'll see terms like a glancing blow is because. Um, when it was arriving, it, it just missed us, but it, we were just close enough to be able to get kind of like that side of it, right? And uh, a direct hit is where the coronal mass ejection is just flowing right in. It's in the perfect spot, and the activity just ramps up right there. You get the full impact of it. So, it, so those are kind of differentiating some some other terms you'll hear associated with coronal mass ejections. Yeah, and when we say the coronal mass ejection is massive, we are not lying. It's it's a 180-degree field, pretty much, at times. Mm -hmm. It could be from the left to the right, like, full span, 180 degrees, going out into space. So we might get only, you know, the very, very corner of it, but we still can see quite a good show from it, like we had in, in March. And it was only KP4 levels, but that's still pretty good. And it was, you know, it was pretty uh, weak portion of it that we got, so really coronal holes or coronal mass ejections sorry are very large and they really can pack a punch especially if we get the full brunt of it yeah and uh just to go off what justin said 180 degrees i've there is something called a a, a halo too that happens sometimes when they're ejected they're just so powerful and so big that some of that uh energy that it releases wraps around the entire sun but obviously it doesn't mean that it's gonna hit us either way um, but when you're looking at some of the uh, satellite images that they come out with, you can see it explode and then like it just sweeps around the sun and it just they're really cool to watch and uh, see the pictures from as well. Yeah, they are very, very, very interesting to watch for watch for. And especially if you see it coming towards you, you know, to make sure your batteries are charged up and ready to go. Yeah, and uh, we have we've we've seen a few lately, not lately, but in the last like um six months or so we've seen a couple some of them have been duds um i remember one night back last summer where we had a i think it was an m class Ernest, no sorry i'm talking about solar players um we saw a pretty pretty powerful cme but um and it was facing us and everything and it was still a dud because sometimes uh, conditions just don't line up right so just always keep that in mind just like we were talking about a little bit earlier there yeah, just because you have a coronal mass ejection facing you doesn't mean you're gonna have the best show in the world you could you could always be skunk there's always that chance Nothing's ever guaranteed, unfortunately, but that's what makes Aurora chasing fun. Yeah, that that's why we do it, right? Because uh, you exactly. never know what's going to happen. We've been pretty lucky lately, though. Everything, most of the activity that we've seen has has packed like quite a punch, and, and that's pretty exciting to hear. But that also might be because we are in March, and uh, as some of you may know, March is, I think, the best month. Just uh, and then September is just behind it there to see Aurora, just because of the equinoxes. Uh, there's holes and like cracks in our magnetic field so that allows more activity to kind of flow in from the sun so even on like well even when we're getting a small event or not even event even just a, a small coronal hole stream in march or september that can still pack quite a punch so uh, 
So if you if you're really serious about it, those are the months you really want to maybe take some time off work if something's happening and get out there because you know it's going to be um, probably a little bit better than usual the show. Yeah, and really the sky's the limit when it comes to what's going to happen on the sun. There's always a chance for things to wrap up, and hopefully this weekend we have uh, have another show, and we'll maybe we'll be able to talk about it next week. Yeah, that'd be awesome. This week is, uh, by the sounds of it, Justin, again, I haven't really got a chance to, I had a busy week, so I didn't get a chance to look at it. But what, what you're saying is it looks like it's uh, some real possibility for some uh, some good shows. So I'm hoping for the best. It's been a little while since I've been out, and I'm itching to get back out in the field. Absolutely. The moon's starting to rise a little later each day, too. So now we have a little bit of more darkness. I think the moon is starting to rise later and later now. With the, We're going into the uh, the waning stages. So now, now is the best time to get out and capture the the aurora, or even just the stars. I know that I'll be out this weekend and capturing it and ready if if all fails, and we'll be sure to take you on the behind the chase next week. Yeah, it should be good. So thank you guys all for listening to the to this episode three of the podcast. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed. And um, oh, I think it's worth noting um, we were going to release the podcast every Wednesday. But uh, me and Justin both work full time, so sometimes during the week it can go a little bit off. So we're giving us some more room during the week to to kind of work with the podcast in case one of us uh, is busy, whatever, with work. So Fridays are going to be our new day for releasing podcasts, uh, just so everyone knows. It's still going to be once a week, uh, but we're switching from Wednesday to Friday. Yep. So be ready to see them come out every Friday. And uh, from there, good luck and clear skies. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can check me out on uh, all social media at Dylan Kaniski Photo. And you can check out Justin on all social media as well at Aurora J. Anderson.